James chapter 3, if you'll go ahead and turn there to James chapter 3. Uh, we could make this a little Bible study if you want to this morning, but anyway, it, it is anyway. We're going to study God's Word, but I want to thank you for being here. I know for a lot of you, that you have to battle through a lot to be here, how early we're asking you to be here, and uh, just in the midst of all the stuff that's going on, I do appreciate you being here uh, with us, and uh, I don't know. Thank you for your prayers. Uh, we have definitely needed that as we tried to navigate through this, and, and there's still a lot of decisions that need to be made in the coming months as to what do we do, how do we do it, uh, what's the governor going to say next, what's what, what's the governor, it's just so much, so many things are in the air, so I, I just covet your prayers for us as a staff that we will navigate safely through this time. Let me give you a couple updates. Uh, some of you have uh, seen the campus. Things are definitely changing uh, here, which is a good thing. If, if anything good has come out of this, it's the fact we can do a lot of the construction while most people are away. And so the building is come along, coming along very well, and uh, the outside could be done very soon. Uh, so we're getting very close to the outside being done, and then the indoors uh, still need some work there. And then if you look inside the fence over there, our our playground is completely done. Now we're waiting on about a 3,000 square foot cement pad uh, to put about 25 picnic tables on so we can seat about 250 people for socials. And so things are really coming together. Uh, appreciate your continued faithfulness and giving towards those uh, things. Uh, but we're very excited about uh, the possibilities of getting back and getting things underway and getting everybody back on campus. All right, James chapter 3. We're continuing the series, Faith That Works. Now, here's James again in chapter 3. He's basically, if you really want to say, okay, what is James trying to accomplish in this letter? Well, basically, he's putting our faith on trial. And he's talked about how we deal with trials and how we deal with all these other things. And then he comes to chapter 3, and he's basically wanting to put our words on trial, our tongue, literally, on trial. And the trial is basically this. Does the, do the words that you say, do those things really show the world that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? That you believe in the teachings of Jesus? And so if you will, today we're going to be looking at the careful use of words, the introduction. James carries us from faith in our works to faith in our words. He is careful to say that faith not only produces the right works, but also the right words. And one of the evidences of true faith is found in the words we use. Now, this is a great statement. Our words reveal spiritual immaturity as well as spiritual maturity. So if you were to say, okay, let's, let's look at your words. Let's see how you use words in your day-to-day -day activities. Would it reveal a maturity in faith or an immature faith? Which one would you judge it to be? And so many would say, well, what's the big deal about words we use? Well, have you ever thought about how many words you'll speak in one day on an average day? Now, we know, and, and, and this is not just us saying this, research has found out that women use more words than men. How many of you can, of you can attest to that? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, there's a perfect couple in Leon and Ginger back there. They, they say they, that pans out for them. But, but the thing that we, I want you to see is the average person will use 18,000 words today. That means 
the average person will speak 6.5 million words in one year. That's a lot of words. That's something that we probably do need to think about that, that, that if we're putting that many things out there, it's probably fair to say that maybe we need to be more careful about what we're putting out there. Now, some of you would say, well, what does that even look like? Your words in one year, if you're the average person, would fill these pages of this book one year's time. Now, let's just say that you live the average age, which is 82. 82 times this would be the words you would use in your lifetime. That's a lot of words. And I think that James is, is probably fair in saying, hey, if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, we, we should be able to look at your words and determine a lot about who you are and what you proclaim you are. Now, think about this. When this was written, James wrote this, there wasn't anything out there known as a tweet, which probably would have helped some people that we know if it wasn't in play. Not only that, a text. They say that we actually, back when we were looking at 18,000 words a day, we actually probably put out more words than that now than we ever heard, more words out than we have through tweet, through text, through all these different mechanisms, through social media. Not only that, the words that we put out there carry on and on and on, especially if you put it in social media. And so our words really do and really can be very important. But here's what we need to know about our words. We're so free with our words. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, 21, that death and life are in the power of the tongue. They're in the power of our words. Think about that. Not just the words we say, which are here and gone, but words probably in our generation more than any other generation are more important today than ever because we can post those words to so many different social outlets. And it's important that we pay attention to those words. So look at your outline. Warning to those who use words. Now look at verse one. He's talking to a specific group of people in verse one. He says, my brother, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Now he begins verse one by basically talking about those who proclaim the word, those who teach the truths of God's word. Now, the thing that we need to understand is you would say, well, this message is just for you and the rest of the pastors, right? No, it's for all of us. We've all been given the task to teach, to put the word of God out there. We, we've been told that. The Great Commission is a part of that, that we are to teach those uh, in the world that, that we have influence over. And so all of us could fit in this. But did you know that we will all be judged by our words? Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is recorded as saying, but I say to you that every idle or unprofitable word or useless word that men may speak or you may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified or by your words, you'll be condemned. He's basically, and again, this is, this is the, the whole idea that, yeah, this is not necessarily salvation talk as much as it is that those who stand condemned before God, part of the judgment that will condemn them is the words that they use. 
And for those who are saved and at the judgment there, part of the words to justify that we are followers of Jesus will be through the words. They'll come back up. Now think about that. That's big. But we will give an account for our words. How many of you are aware of the little thing we used to say in the playground when we were kids? I don't know they use it as much now as they did as they did in our day, but how many of you know sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Words will never hurt me. How many of you found that to be true? No, words are painful. How many of you have ever had someone get in your face and, and, and just give you a bunch of words and you just soon they hit you and do what they just did? Yeah. <laughs> have you ever been there? I mean, words can be very painful, especially words from a parent, words from a spouse, words from a friend. Those words can be painful. Now, this is something... I did not know, but I discovered this 10 years ago when we first did uh, this study on James. Scientists maintain, maintain that once a sound wave is set in motion, even a spoken word, that the wave of sound continues on a never-ending journey. Meaning, this is powerful, if we had a sophisticated enough instruments, each wave could be captured and then reproduced at any time. Think about it. The possible 525 million words that we could use in a lifetime are still out there. And if we had the technology, we could recapture what was said. How many of you, that just blows your mind? It blows my mind. But think about it. It's all right there. But, you know, it's amazing that the things that we put on social media... Uh, the words that we use. I, I look sometimes and I'll see things that people are saying and I'm like, really? Should we be, <laughs> is that something we really need to be saying? And I think we need to understand the weight of our words. Look at verse two. He says this, for we all stumble in many things. How many of you agree with that? We're pretty capable of stumbling in anything. And then he says, if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man or a mature man. Now, what he's saying here, he's saying we all make mistakes, we all sin, we all stumble. But the easiest way to stumble is through our words. How many of you can attest to that? It is. I mean, sometimes we're out there, we're doing our thing, and maybe we'll do an action, or, and there's a lot that goes behind that action. But a word can just pop out, right? And he's saying the easiest way to stumble, the easiest way to ruin a testimony, the easiest way to cause damage is through the words that we use. The words that we use. In Proverbs 10, it says this. I think Gary may have used this in his sermon. Says, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Is wise. Therefore, the man or woman who, who can control his or her tongue is maturing and reaching the intended goal God has, has for them. Think about the words you've used this past week. Think about that. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you are convicted by just that statement? How many of you can look back at some of the words you used this past week and thought, mm, he's right, it's so easy to stumble. <laughs> And it is. Think about it. Were, were your words this week encouraging? Did they build up or did they tear down? 
Did they proclaim the truths of God's teaching? Did did, did the words that you use reveal that you're a true follower of Jesus Christ? Were, Were people able to make that connection because of the words that you used? Now, how did you represent Jesus this past week with your words? Boy, that's powerful when you think about it. If my wife were in here, she'd be sitting here saying, you didn't do so good, buddy. (laughs) And I'm ashamed to say that, but I remember one specific thing you would think if I was going to stand up here and speak to a couple hundred people on Sunday, I would get the words right this week leading into it. But there's one thing, we were going down the road and and I didn't choose my words carefully, or at least she says I didn't. (laughs) No, I didn't. But, But think about that. We all find it, that's so easy to do. But let's carry this step, this a step further. Look at the, uh, on your outline, illustrations for those who use words. He, he's about, and this is why James is so effective as a writer. It's because he not only states something, he gives illustration after illustration concerning what he's just said. And so the first thing we see here is the directive nature of the tongue. Your words can set the direction not only for your life, but also the lives of others. The lives of others. Words can create a healthy environment or unhealthy environment to raise children. Words can also struggle, uh, excuse me, destroy a life through criticism or verbal abuse. Words have the power to direct the outcome, this is powerful, of nations, individuals, and especially children. And so my question about this is, and I, and, and I don't know about you, but I think we need to think this way. Are your words inspiring? Have you ever even thought about that? How many of you, when you listen, when you read the words of Jesus, you come away inspired? You do, don't you? The words of Paul, the words of James. Sometimes it's hard hitting, but it is inspiring. When I read the words of Jesus, I I love those words because basically he's teaching us a new way, a different way, a way that is bigger than ourselves. And that should be inspiring. And I think that's what's required of us. But how do we get there? Well, first of all, James compares it to a horse's bridle. Look at verse 2 again. He says, for we all stumble in many things, and if anyone does not stumble in the word, he is a perfect or mature man, able also to bridle the whole body. He's basically saying, boy, when you get that tongue under control, when you get those words under control, the biggest part of the battle is done. Now, what is he talking about? Well, I think most of you in this room know exactly what we're talking about. But look at some of the pictures here. Of course, we see the horse. Uh, by the way, a, a horse can, can be as much as a half a ton, and yet there's the bridle. The reason I have a picture here is I hope I hadn't offended you, but some of the 11 o'clock people may have never seen this. <laughs> but, but it's right there. I mean, you got that bridle. Now, I want you to think about it. Just a few ounces of steel can control a half-ton horse, can direct the direction of the horse. It's the idea of controlling something that's very powerful, but something that can be very useful. That's the illustration that he's using. Someone has said this, and this is so true. It takes us about two years to learn to talk and about 80 years to learn to control our talk. How many of you agree with that? I was talking to someone the other day, and they're a little bit older than I am, and and we were talking, and I said, what are some of the challenges you face as you get older? (laughs) 
here's what he said. He said, I find that I'm not, I don't analyze my words anymore. I just say it. How many of you found that to be true as you get older? It, that is a tendency. Now you just say it. For all those years, you restrained and just thought it. Now you just say it. You just put it out there. But that's not what James is talking about. He's talking about carefully considering and bridling your words. So there's your first illustration. Next, James uses the illustration of a ship's rudder. Look at verse 4. He says, look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce wind, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. So you can literally harness what you need to direct it a certain way. So a small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled pilot can set a course in the face of the strongest winds and can navigate through most difficult waters. That's what James seems to be saying. Now, of course, the pilot of a ship has no control of the waves itself, but a skillful pilot with the use of that rudder can guide that ship in spite of the winds that blow, in spite of the circumstances in their life. How many, of you, how many of you know people that if it hits their mind, it's out their mouth? How many of you found they, they get in trouble a lot? They do. Because there's nothing there. there. There's no restraint. The same thing is true for you and me. We have no control of the variety of the winds and circumstances that come our way. But we do have the ability to control our responses, our words to every circumstance. Our words, think about this, have the ability to direct and shape others' lives. And this is a tremendous responsibility. Think about all the people that God's placed in your life that you have some type of influence over. Your words can either bring about life or death to them. Your words can either bring them down and possibly even destroy them or they may inspire them. Think about it, just words. Next, we see the destructive nature of the tongue. Many of you maybe can recall or think about the days of Adolf Hitler uh, and the height that he came to and the destruction that he created. Did you know that historians, when they look back at Hitler, it wasn't that he was such a great strategist as much as he was a great orator. He could inspire even through destruction, things that were there. I mean, he led a whole nation. Think about the deception that surrounded what Hitler was talking about. And yet, he led millions of people in that deception because he knew how to use words towards destruction. Next, James kind of alludes to that. He says, basically, the tongue or our words can burn like a wildfire. Look at verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how a great forest, how a great forest, a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. It means it has a, a, a universe of sin of its own. And the tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. Now, when you think about destruction, the ultimate destruction, when you really think about it, is hell. The ultimate destruction. 
And James is basically making some comparisons. When you think about the ultimate destruction of humanity and what the world has, it is the idea of hell. He's saying words can get very close to that and can even condemn. And so he uses the picture of a wildfire. Many of you have seen pictures. Uh, uh, I don't know if you can see this very well, but this is a wildfire taken from space. And, and, and it's amazing the destruction it can come. With, with, with just a spark. The largest forest fire ever recorded was in Wisconsin in 1871. 1,500 lives were lost. 3.8 million acres burned. And they say it was a size greater than the state of Connecticut. And it all came from one spark, one spark. In the same year, there was the Great Chicago Fire. Within hours 17,500 buildings were destroyed, 300 people died, 125,000 were left homeless. What took hundreds of years to build was destroyed in a matter of hours. And what's James doing? He's comparing that to the tongue, to the words that we say. James is saying that the destructive potential of our words can be like a wildfire. Look back at verse 6. He says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, a world of sin. It literally means it can create its own, uh, word, its own universe, its own environment. So our words have their own world of sin. There can be lying words, critical words, hateful words. I want you to think about maybe a home you were raised in in which the only thing that came out of that home were words of criticism. Not good enough. Never measure up. And all of a sudden, all those words. You see, what happens in that is there's a, there's a whole environment that can be created in a home in which words feed that environment of unhealthiness and dysfunction. I can't tell you how many times I, I talk to people and when we get to talking about some of the matters and some of the things that they're dealing with in their life, a lot of times it comes back to the words that were used in the home when they were just a young child. Some of it was a formative year. Some of it was a years later. And, and, and all of it just came there. The destruction came, it was born out of there. He's talking about it has its own environment, the words that we use. A second illustration James gives concerning destruction of the tongue is a wild animal. Look at verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. It's basically that idea that when you start looking at different kinds of animals that are out there, they start off as being wild, but man has the ability to tame those things. To tame those things. It's basically... It is possible to take a destructive beast, an animal, even like a lion, and tame it. But what about the tongue? Notice that the tongue, someone has said, is caged behind teeth and lips. Caged behind those things. I, I think that's an interesting concept when you think about it. But look at verse 8. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison capable of bringing destruction. You know what James is basically saying here? That it, it, the tongue in and of itself is incapable of changing on its own. It's literally meaning there's an outside force that has to come in to change it. It's really saying this, that the heart 
There's something else that has to be changed before the words are changed. And it's the heart. The heart has to change. Something has to change. In verse 8, James is saying that our words can be much more damaging than any wild beast. The idea of spreading rumors and gossip. I've known people who have had a, a powerful testimony for, for many years, and all of a sudden someone will go, and, and I don't know what the motivation is, but then they begin to tear down and gossip and spread rumors about someone who is there who has a powerful testimony. Next, we see the deceptive nature of the tongue. Look at verse 9. He says this, with it. We bless with our words, with the tongue. We bless our God and Father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God, in the likeness of God. Think about that. He, he could be calling us out right here, sitting here. I mean, we just sang words about the faithfulness of God, how God has never let us down, how, you know, it's just this relationship, everything. I mean, God, you are amazing. You're real in my life. And then all of a sudden we can walk out of here, maybe not even get off the campus and already be running someone down. We're capable beings when it comes to that. But look at verse 10. Out of the mouth proceed blessings and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. He's basically saying, hey, if there's proof that you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, this should, not deter, this should not be a description of you. This is not what it looks like. So James is talking about those who sing the praises of Jesus in a worship service and turn around and blast someone with their words. Have you ever gone down the road and maybe had the channel on 106.9 and, and maybe you recognize a song, maybe it's a song we sing here on Sunday mornings and all of a sudden it just lifts you up and you're singing and, and, and it's just a great feeling going down the road and someone cuts you off. Isn't it amazing how everything changed on a dime? I mean, it's, I mean just right there. But it's capable, and he's basically saying, that'll not be so. Look at verse 11. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Boy, that's convicting, isn't it? You mean to tell me that I can go from singing the praises of Jesus to, to just blessing someone out for cutting me off in traffic and, and, and right there in just a split second, and he's saying, that's not the way it's supposed to be. The true reality of the source, whatever the source is, it's going to be revealed when it comes out your mouth and you're talking about blessings and cursings right there together. Is that really possible? Boy, that's convicting when you think about it. How about verse 12? It doesn't get any better. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh? Wow. He's basically saying the nature of something is going to be revealed with the fruit. So the question this morning for all of us is this. What does the nature of your words reveal? What do the natures of your words reveal about you? Now, the here's what I think James is getting down to. The transformation that comes by way of salvation brings greater results than what we just read. 
It's something that it, there's a desire in which God wants to do something greater in your life to the extent that, that it won't bring a mixed reaction. But yet it does at times, doesn't it? It does. How many of you have people in your life that know how to hit those buttons to set you off? You, ever, you got those people in your life? Some of you are like, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, you do. We all do, don't we? We have those people that just know how to. Now, let me ask you this. Does that reveal more about them or you? I was convinced. I was convinced for years that, that my wife just wanted to hit certain buttons to set me off. You ever felt that way about your spouse? It's like, oh, they're doing it intentionally. Oh, man, why, why, why would you even say that? Well, I want to know, or I want to get it. Kind of find out it had nothing to do with it. That was not her motivation to set me off, at least not all the time. <laughs> but most of the time, it resided in me. My response, listen, I'm in charge of my response, not the other person. What we just read a while ago is that idea of the, the rudder of the ship and all that. But here's where our words, our words are der derived from our heart. It comes from the heart. And so therefore, what comes out is revealed there. So the bottom line is our words are merely a symptom that there's a problem on the inside. Have you ever heard someone say, after they got real mad and said hurtful things, they came back and said, I don't know where that came from. That wasn't me. Did you know that's a lie? It was them. It was them. Something in there came out. And, and, and it's something that we need to pay attention to. Matthew 12, 34 tells us why. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The mouth reveals the heart. Matthew 15, Jesus said this, it is not the things that come into the person that defiles a person, but the things that come out of the person that defiles that person. Namely, our words, our attitudes. Next, help for those who, who use words. How many of you would say this morning, don't raise your hand, that at times you need help with your words? Okay, now, I don't want a wife grabbing her husband and pulling the hand. <laughs> Let's don't do any of that. But there's times we need help with words. And so James is going to give it, and it's kind of like a review for us. So look on the outline. Let the Holy Spirit hold the bridle. Look at verse 3 again. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. That means there's something, when we mention this whole idea of a bridle, it's not that it rests solely in the, on the horse that sets the direction the horse is going in, but there's something that is put onto the horse in such a way that it is now controlled. And James is saying, what a lot of you people need, you need a bridle when it comes to the words that you use. How many of you would agree that at times you do need that? And what he's saying, he's saying, let the Holy Spirit be that. Let the Holy Spirit be that. Now, let me tell you what maturity looks like. How many of you at times have said things in which you immediately regretted it? You, you ever done that? 
To me, that's a good sign. That's conviction, and that could be the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay? I've said things before. Bam, there it is. Oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that. But how many of you have ever, someone set you off or someone put something out there, and all of a sudden, you're ready to pounce, and all of a sudden, there was a check? That's what he's talking about. He's talking about that whole idea of maturing in such a way that we don't say it and then immediately feel guilty or convicted by it. He's saying that we put something out front, that we literally don't even say it, that we get to the point where the maturing process in us through the Holy Spirit is stopping it before it's even said, before the destruction's capable of coming out. That's what we need. How many of you would agree with that? That's what we would need. Next, let the Holy Spirit pilot the ship. Look at verse 4 again. Like also, like also as ships, although they are very large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Did you know that some ports, and I know they're the Cape Fear River, and really most rivers, there's what you call uh, uh, Bar pilots, I think is the official name for them. And literally what will happen is as a ship comes in to, to a port area, one of two things could happen. Tugboat goes out and, and, and gets a hold of the, uh, the ship itself and starts pulling it where it needs to. But there's not only that that happens. All of a sudden, sometimes the, 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 the original pilot will step aside and they'll allow another pilot to steer the ship into the port. So literally, he, he gets, he's brought to the ship, he gets in, he takes over to navigate the tough areas, the things that are unseen, the things that, that, that may catch him off guard. He's basically saying the same thing needs to happen with our tongues. Sometimes we just need the Holy Spirit to just kind of take over. How many of you agree with that? Yeah, we just need him just to take over. The only way that happens is when we submit to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Now, I'm speaking for my own self about this. If I don't have that frame of mind, that never happens for me. If I don't have my time with the Lord and I don't have my time, uh, Him pouring into my life and my prayer time and me intentionally living my life, wanting God to use my life in the most effective way that He can to inspire people, to, to help people, to maybe even challenge people in a way that's good for them. The only way that's going to happen is I have to be intentional and I have to be submissive to the work of the Holy Spirit in and through my life. I literally need to get him to, to become the pilot. Literally is what James is talking about. And I think it's a great word for all of us. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to bridle our tongue and pilot our tongue. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.18, and this goes back to what I just said. He says, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. He's saying that's wasteful, that's useless. But be filled with the Spirit. And then it says this. We know that part, but then it says speaking to one another. How many of you agree that one of the biggest problems you have when it comes to your testimony is the words that come out of you? It's almost like your words are a contradiction to what you profess. James is saying that our words should not be a contradiction to what we profess. If we say we're followers of Jesus, 
Our words should affirm that. Our words should speak to that. So here's the application. If your words reveal the condition of your heart, then what is the condition of your heart? Is that one of the most convicting things you could ever hear? <laughs> I'm serious. What's the condition of your heart? There's times my wife will call me on it. Maybe I'm using the wrong words. Something's wrong with your heart. Get that head going. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but is she right? She's right. The words reveal the heart. And that's what needs the work. I want, I want to kind of close this with something that I think is very serious. A lot of people that I meet with for counseling, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, a lot of the people I meet with with counseling, and I think Jeff would attest to this and other people who deal with people, Gary maybe, I think the thing that is amazing is how the condition in which they come into the office and everything that they're dealing with, how it seems to relate back to their home life when they were a kid. Now, I'm not one of those who, sit, who blames every problem that we have, and I try not to let it on our parents. I'm, I'm not that person. I, I don't, I, there's just, I made stupid decisions. I, I just, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't do things right myself. I still have a mind to, to overcome those things, but it is amazing how the words of parents live on in the lives of people, in the lives of people. Uh, and, and, and I think that's what I'm talking about. I think parents, there's a couple of young families in here. I think the thing that we, you need to get your mind around, and I think when I became a grandparent, I saw the full scope of what that looks like. You really need to be careful with the words that you use. Are they inspiring? Sometimes what inspires is a little discipline. Wouldn't you agree? Sometimes it's necessary. I'm not talking about this sugarcoat everything. I'm talking about sometimes you need to be inspiring and it's discipline. But you need to, be, you need to guard your words carefully. Some of you say, you know something, the very words that I use sometimes with my children are the very words I, I can hear my own parents saying. Did you know that God wants a little more of us than that? Especially if those words of the parents are not right. He wants us to be transformative that the sins of the past don't rest in the future. He wants us to change that. And I'm convinced of that. How about husbands and wives? A lot of times, I'll just be honest with you, a lot of times marriage counseling is just a, a, a matter of teaching them how to communicate in a, in a better way because they don't know how to communicate to one. They don't know how to, sometimes they don't know how to communicate with anybody. Just helping them understand the weight of the words Sometimes a, a couple will show up and a wife seems to, I mean, this, this, I see this sometimes, has already checked out and they're just showing up. But the weight of his words pounded her and pounded her and pounded her for so long that it gets to the point where not a whole lot left. And I've seen it both ways there. So really, I want to ask you a question. I believe when I look at the words of Jesus, I'm looking at words that are challenging. I'm looking at words that are life-giving. I'm looking at words that build up. I'm looking at words that are inspirational. And I think that's what we need to reflect. 
But that will only happen when the heart's right. When the heart's right. Would you pray with me? Father, I just thank you so much for your blessings, Lord. And Lord, I know that I'm definitely not a perfect person that stands up here and says that my words are always inspiring and not critical and all that. But Father, I, I pray that even through a, a sermon like this, the words of James and the challenge that's put out there, that somehow we would be energized and, and, and inspired to, to guard our words more carefully, to use them more carefully, to, to seek to, to be someone that, that in through our words, we affirm what we say about ourselves. Father, I pray for that. And Lord, if there's someone here today, maybe this whole talk about what we talked about when it comes to words is new to them. Maybe, maybe they don't understand the transformative work of the Holy Spirit in their life. Maybe they've never given their life to you, Father. I pray today would be the day that they do that before they leave here, Father. Again, Lord, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for the inspiration of your word. And lastly, Father, we just pray. We pray that you'll just continue to give us as a church leaders wisdom and discernment to, to navigate these days. Father, I pray for those that are here today that are, uh, it's just, it's for some people they are driven by fear in this day and time. And I pray that not be the case. Father, I pray that you'll give them the, the inspiration, maybe of encouragement from, from others to speak into their life, to help them as we navigate through these unprecedented days. We thank you for what you desire to do in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Gary? <clears throat> All right. Thanks for... Uh...